Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. Though it's it's going to be a bittersweet one. I gotta say, the Rockies are playing extraordinarily well. They've won eight of their last ten. They just won their third series in a row. They got a little bit of revenge against Pittsburgh. They've just been playing generally good baseball that's, you know, fun to watch if you happen to be in the Rockies community, if you happen to be covering the team or a fan of the team or on the team, I'm sure. I'm sure Bud Black and the coaching staff prefer this to what we were seeing the first couple of weeks. Um, But there is, of course, one big dark cloud hanging over the day right now. Uh, So I'm going to do ups and downs. I've only got two downs, but this first one, I I, I do have to start with a down. I know it's weird because they've been winning so much and all of this, right? But those of you, I mean, if you're listening to this, you know why I'm starting with a down. Because this Antonio Senzatella news, which is not yet concrete, but is incredibly scary, which is that he had to leave uh, today's ball game. Of course, I'm recording this. I don't. I have no idea when you're listening to it, but I'm recording it on Wednesday, the afternoon, or if you're local, the morning ball game against the Pirates. Senza had to come out of the game uh, with, at the time, an undisclosed injury. But as we learned after the game, I learned from Patrick Saunders, as most people did. I'm not in Pittsburgh on this trip. Um, that there's forearm tightness, which is just the last phrase you want to hear about a starting pitcher. It was the phrase we were fearing to hear about Armand Marquez and the first injury that wasn't it. And then the second one, it was right. And that turned into Tommy John, which is oftentimes what that, especially like forearm tightness near the elbow. Oftentimes, not every time, not always, but man, that just, I almost regret having said the words just a second ago now, because typically I try to not even like, I don't know, it's just a bad juju thing. But I, I, I just want to say this uh, from a like a human perspective for a moment, like this is brutal for Antonio Sensatella. If this is any kind of serious injury to tear your ACL in, you know, and he was having a pretty good year last year. Really, it, it's been brutal because Sensatella has been, I think, oddly enough, a lot better the last couple of years, but hasn't been able to prove it because all of a sudden he's got this injury thing. And he had been so, again, we said that it feels like a mirror image of this conversation we just had with Marquez. Sensatella has been so durable. He's been such a a rock for this team. Not as good as Marquez over the years, no, but but absolutely an important part of the team that was good in 17 and 18, right? Those guys came up together uh, at, uh, right around basically the same time. And, man, for him to come back and just pitch in a ball game and a half and go right back on a long-term IL stint, if that's what it ends up being, would be absolutely brutal for this guy who, you know, really had an opportunity, I think, to, to break out and prove that he was better than the kind of roughly league average pitcher that a lot of the statistics suggest that he is. He's been an up-and-down guy. You know, can give you a really good quality start, but then might get blown up in, in one or two. Uh, 
I just put together a, a bunch of information for a video we've got coming out on Mile High Sports YouTube channel, which, by the way, I hope you're subscribed there. I've got three things up on there now from the Rockies' side in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Going to be doing a lot more of those short videos. Got one on Todd Helton and walks and Daniel Barden saves, and I'm working on a Jorge De La Rosa one. And one of the things that, of course, we all know Jorge De La Rosa was incredibly good at was winning ball games at Coors Field, which is actually something that low-key Antonio Sensatella has been very, very good at, which is something that when, you know, as we know with De La Rosa, his baseline numbers, people look in and go, hey, he wasn't even that good. Basically, he had, for his career, an OPS plus of exactly 100. So according to that statistic, Jorge De La Rosa was exactly a league average pitcher. But of course, he was much better in Colorado than he was for the six years before that, which is really, really weird. He's basically the only guy who's ever done that, right? But then when you look even deeper and you go, okay, sure, he he was bound to give up a lot more runs. He pitched so many innings at Coors Field, but man, did he manage to figure out a knack for giving up slightly fewer runs than the other guy. And Sensatella's kind of had that knack over his career. And like with Marquez, there are decisions to make about the long-term future of who among these guys is going to be a part of the rotation into their 30s and and that they can build around, right? So we had, just like with Marquez, even though it wasn't, like I said, because Marquez has always had the kind of, you know, Cy Young potential and that high-end elite stuff, there's always been more there because his, if, it went really well for him. That that can make your team a lot better. But I've always submitted that Sensatella was a bit underrated and that he had a similar ability to impact the possible quality of the club uh, if it went, you know, strongly in his favor. And it's just really unfortunate that even after a really nice win today, a 4-3 win, the Rockies come up big late in the clutch uh, and, and get a tight win on the road against a team that's been playing really well this season. And the Rockies are suddenly playing really well on the road. And I'd love to be talking about all that stuff first. But you, you do just have to begin with hoping that Sensatella can be all right. And for both the baseball team and for him and, and for him personally, man, I just I can't imagine the frustration of that. So. Let's do talk about some ups. Obviously, I, I mentioned a few broad generalization ones there, right? How they're playing on the road. Uh, but let's talk about one player specifically. My number one up for this series, and you really do have to get, call him the player of the series, when you hit two home runs in one ball game and you get the go-ahead, essentially game-winning RBI hit in the other ball game in the two games that you win, Jerickson Profar is your player of the series. But interestingly enough, Jerickson Profar has kind of, again, quietly come alive as of late. The overall numbers are still only okay-ish. I mean, they're they're below average, certainly. He's hitting 220 on basing 310, slugging 382. That's not going to get anybody super excited right there in of itself, right? I tend to balk at using too much of stats like WRC Plus and OPS Plus this time of year. You need a big caveat for him because they can change. Like his WRC Plus was like, 51 a week ago and now it's 75 right so that can change dramatically of course the big number for Profar that jumps out at you is the fact that he's hit five home runs all of a sudden uh, that's something that obviously is a skill that regardless of what else is going on especially if we're looking at Profar in terms of a veteran player to be showcased in a trade every single home run he hits is a big you know 
positive mark on his resume for any GM uh, potentially looking to pick him up. But he also uh, has a 20-game on-base streak under his belt all of a sudden, too. So it's it's been interesting because he's not doing it in every at-bat. He got off to a really, really slow start. And remember, he had all those travel issues getting with the team and didn't really have a final two weeks of spring training. So that could all be related to a, to a bit of his slow start. Obviously, whatever GM might be looking to pick him up out there would be, you know, hoping that he's playing well when they pick him up. You know, that's when you want to be playing your best, not at the, necessarily the beginning of the season. So this could be setting up very nicely for the Rockies. If he's going to get hot at this time, I know there are people out there, and on some level, I'm one of them, who just wish the Rockies would right now move on from these veterans and go with the young guys. But it is absolutely the best case scenario that Profar play well for the next month or so so that they can actually get something pretty decent for him. Uh, you know, I, I thought of this comparison last night just because my wife asked me, and I promise I'm not trying to pick on somebody who I know is uh, probably a personal fan favorite of a lot of people listening. But my wife just goes, hey, what's going on with Trevor Story? And the last I had heard about Trevor Story, uh, he was hurt in spring training. I hadn't really looked it up. And then I went and checked again. He's still hurt. And there's some question whether or not he'll even play this season, which is really, really depressing. And I pull for that guy because he's a really awesome dude. But then I remembered that he had a a pretty bad year last year for for Boston as well. And inside the conversation of that, I was just looking at his war. And I noticed that it is 2.3, 2.4, depending on which one you're looking at. And Profar's was 2.5, right? So so <laughs> I was kind of like, wait a minute. Jerks and Profar put up more wins above replacement last year than Trevor Story just because those two numbers were so close together happened to pop into my mind, right? So I get that he's not off to a very good start, but uh, he, he's got a recent track record uh, and the fact that he's getting on base with regularity and that he's now hitting these home runs uh, really does suggest that yes there's a possibility he could get back to that kind of player he was a season ago that 2.5 win kind of player and that is a player that has real value at the trade deadline not just a veteran who's like hey maybe he'll hit some home runs for you but he's gonna you know be bad in every other way especially if he can cut down on the strikeouts the big difference was that last year and really throughout his career he's been a strikeout guy of about 15 percent of the time right now it's up around 23 percent so that's the big thing with profar if he can get that strikeout number down to his career number of 15 to 16.5 percent you know, then I think you're going to continue to see him get on base. Obviously, uh, the batting average will naturally go up a little bit if you're striking out less. And, you know, he's never going to be a huge slugging guy. But the the fact that the home run ball is in there uh, is going to be very attractive to anyone looking to pick him up at the deadline, which, by the way, I I do still think is the plan for Profar in the, I guess, not long-term, sort of middle-term, I guess you would say, uh, that... You know, especially with uh, Jones playing so well down in AAA. It's just the kind of the perfect soup, if you will, to make that happen. But for now, I'm just going to enjoy that he's he's playing well. He is kind of fun to watch. I've I've always enjoyed Jerkson Profar. I said that when they picked him up. That was in a really weird spot. I was like, I don't like this move at all. I like this player. I've always enjoyed him, even though he's sort of a, quote, disappointment. From a, he was one of those guys who's supposed to be like a huge prospect, right? And then turned out to be... 
okay, um, uh, pretty good. And that sometimes really bothers people more than a guy who, you know, you don't expect him to be anything. And then he's pretty good. You know, it's, it's kind of a weird world out there. But uh, there you have it. Sort of similar to that, uh, I'm going to go, since we're still in that conversation, to the next up and talk about Brenton Doyle, one of the young guys that is getting to play. And really the offense in general was pretty great. And and I obviously I could get into like Randall Gritchick again. Chris Bryant continues to do his thing. Charlie Blackman still putting the bat on the ball. Elias Diaz continues to be the Rockies' best hitter and all of that. But what is news, right, uh, whether it's the hitting and the stealing of the bases, uh, that you're getting out of Brenton Doyle or today the defense throwing the guy out at home plate in a tie ball game to end an inning like that was and and really to bail out that that was a, a tough situation right Bard didn't have it today that just the command was gone from him again managed to get one out out of the situation he did strike out the final batter uh he faced but he he loaded the bases before he was able to get that one out so now you've got bases loaded one out tough situation to inherit for Brad Hand in a tie ball game uh, and uh, comes in and he gets a, a line out to center field. And on that particular line out, anybody else is playing center field for the Rockies. In fact, I'll say any other center fielder who's played center field for the Rockies for the last five, since Charlie Blackman was in his prime, like Charlie in his prime would have made that play potentially. His arm has always been pretty good. It was never super great. It's also a funkier angle. I'm now way overthinking this <laughs> uh, on that particular ball for a lefty to, to throw it in. Anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is Brenton Doyle throwing that guy out at home on the ball he did with as deep as it was, uh, with the momentum he had coming in. That was fantastic to see. And I'm really just hyped about the all-around package of Brenton Doyle right now. Uh, Like I said, the the running of the bases, uh, at bat to at bat, I feel like he's putting together. Of course, I mean, he's a rookie. He's not going to come through every time. He's going to strike out in big situations. Those things are going to happen. I mean, that happens to veterans as well. It's going to happen a little more frequently with him. But overall, in terms of, especially when I compare to, say, uh, the early at bats of guys like Brandon Rogers or Ryan McMahon or uh, Ezekiel Tovar, uh, right? I would say Doyle has looked more comfortable in his first whatever handful 50 something odd plate appearances uh so far than those guys did now has he looked as comfortable as trevor story did in his first 50 no but almost nobody does but st- but you know there's a spectrum there and doyle's on a on a pretty good side of it despite the fact that he's not you know exactly tearing down the the walls with the uh, the offensive number still batting around 216 i think it is um but just so much promise there, which takes me to my only other down of this particular episode. It's a small one. It's a nitpicky thing. And I brought it up once before, but I don't understand pinch hitting for Doyle in that situation they did today. Two on, nobody out, tie ball game, and they go to Charlie Blackman. Now, as I said last time they did this with Harold Castro. In fact, it's, it's remarkably similar, right? They did it with Harold Castro and Ezekiel Tovar, and Castro came through with the game-winning hit. In this particular situation, Charlie Blackman walked, which set up Profar's ultimately game-winning hit. So the outcome was good, and you could very easily argue that Bud Black did the right thing there to win the game. In fact, he, he almost certainly did. There's a much higher chance there that Brenton Doyle either strikes out in a big moment which is a tough spot because now a double play gets you out of the inning or he hits into a double play himself and maybe you've got the runner over at third, but so what? Now this guy makes any kind of out at the plate 
and they're out of the inning unscathed, right? So I understand if, again, you expected to win a ton of games this year, if this is late in the year, you're in it. If you're in a postseason game, ha ha ha, uh, this is exactly how you would manage a situation like that. And and I get that that's what, like I said last time, that's what Buddy's doing. That's what he's going to do. But man, especially because he had just made the defensive play of the game the inning prior. He had just thrown the guy out at home plate. And I get everything. It's, it's everything from the veteran to the left-handed bat. Charlie Blackman was in every way a better matchup. I can't argue the baseball strategy of, of winning that game. I just want to see these young guys getting those opportunities. Like I said last time, getting them now even if they do fail, because I think that that will more than likely help to set them up to succeed and be used to those types of situations in the future. So as much as it feels great to win a ball game on May 10th of 2023, rather than losing a ball game on May 10th of 2023, especially while it is still May 10th of 2023, <laughs> it may have been, it may be the case and of course, I have no way of proving this, but I, I just feel like it may be the case that losing today's ball game, in exchange for an experience that Brenton Doyle would learn from and become a much better ball player the next time around, might actually be worth it. Now, I bet if I was sitting in front of Bud Black right now, he would say to me, we'll get that done. He's going to get his opportunities. He's going to have those chances. But right now, I'm trying to win every ball game that I can. And and I wouldn't really have much of a of a retort for that, right? I'm I'm coming at this from a very philosophical standpoint. But I do have a hard time prioritizing beating the Pittsburgh Pirates in this year that I don't think is and that's probably where our, our biggest difference would be. They might be saying, "Hey, we can get back into this thing. We can get back to 500 with the expanded postseason. Who knows?" You know, they might be living on that dream and and for real or for not, I don't know. But I would really like to have seen Doyle get that at bat. Especially because what if he comes through? I mean, the confidence boost. Because that's the thing. If he doesn't come through, all right, whatever. He's a rookie. He's not expected to win the ball game for you. Um, no big deal. It's a tough beat anyway, losing your starting pitcher so early on in the game. You're hardly going to put that one on Doyle. No one's going to blame Brenton Doyle if you don't win the game there. So I guess that's why it almost feels like a a low-pressure but high-pressure situation, if that makes any sense. Anyway, didn't love it. That's all. Did not love it. Uh, last little bit of, of up for you. My final up is the pitching. And this feels so weird to say, and I don't want to mix in a down here on the final up while we're supposed to be ending on a, a positive note since I gave you so much sensatella at the beginning there. But if you were to plot out the scenario under which the Colorado Rockies dramatically outperformed expectations this year and did sneak into the postseason, became a Cinderella darling, you know that three or 4% chance that kind of exists for most teams every year. Uh, certainly the ones that aren't trying to lose, uh, you know, how would that come true? If you were to paint that scenario out, a lot of it would actually include what we've seen for the last week, specifically, I mean, on the mound, 
And, I mean, Connor Siebold giving you quality innings. Austin Gomber giving you quality innings. Ryan Feltner, up and down, but we know he's, he's given him some pretty good games as of late, right? You got Kyle Freeland continuing to do his thing. One pitch that he wanted back in that one game. Rockies might have swept. Justin Lawrence has been phenomenal. All capital letters. Brad Hand has been great. Brent Suter has been great. Pierce Johnson's been really good. Pierce Johnson's interesting, right? It's like, I feel like he isn't nearly as dominant to say like Lawrence is when he comes in. He's a little shakier. But he's six for six in save opportunities. Colorado native. So essentially what I'm trying to say here is like all of these guys who you wouldn't necessarily have expected or been able to predict with confidence that they were going to pitch well. Uh, I'll throw Noah Davis in there, though. I know he's on the IL, right? But th- those are the types of things that you would need to go in the Rockies favor in order for them to do something special. All those lesser-known names who weren't necessarily huge prospects, but they had to all pop, which is kind of what's happening right now. They're not throwing seven innings of, of shutdown, you know, ten strikeout. But, but five innings, one run out of Connor Siebold, I feel like I use this phrase a lot, but you will take that every time. Quality starts... Or the quality start minus, if it's going to be five innings, because modern baseball, <laughs> five innings, are are massive for this team. Of course, though, the, the big gut punch to all of that is that in order for that to all really pay off in the long run, you're going to need, you, you were going to need Marquez and Sensatella, and now it looks like you might be without both of them. And as decent as they've been lately, as unterrible as the... Rockies pitching that I thought was going to be continue to be terrible, uh, despite some of my belief in Gomber and despite them getting rid of Jose Urania, I did not think that this rotation even had it in them to have this long a stretch of actually just being pretty darn good, and the back end of the bullpen being great. So, as long as they can keep that up, they'll keep winning some ball games. Like, as long as the pitching is is giving them close to quality starts, they've got the position player talent here to win games, especially because one of the big things in this run lately is, right, they stop making mistakes. Stop, you don't make errors. Get some slightly quality pitching. And, yeah, Chris Bryant, C.J. Crone, Charlie Blackman, apparently Elias Diaz now, and now that these young guys, Doyle and Tovar, are getting into it a little bit, that's a pretty fun and potentially productive. And I, and I mentioned Profar earlier, what he's doing. Like, the position players are going to win you some ball games if you're going to keep it together. So it, it'll be really interesting to see if the Rockies can even get back to 500, close to. Um, it's all on the table right now. You play the games on paper, but I still really, really worry about the starting rotation. I just, that's a lot to try to overcome. And I'll tell you what, if the Rockies somehow manage to be anywhere close to 500 this year, that'll be a minor miracle, considering the two pitchers they've lost. Again, we don't know the deal for Sensatella, but it doesn't look good, so... In the meantime, appreciate for as long as you can these outings when you get a great one from Seabold or Feltner or Gomber. 
Obviously, Freeland, we all enjoy watching Kyle Freeland pitch, and we're never going to get tired of that. But it's just been wild, man. I just did not imagine. This is surreal. I did not expect to see this much quality Rockies pitching, especially after what we saw the first couple of weeks. And also have this news about Marquez and Sensatella. I would have thought the only way we'd be talking about good Rockies pitching is if Marquez really locked it in, Sensatella made it back and was banging on all cylinders. Freeland was doing what Freeland was doing, you know, and then the rest of the to- rotation had to be totally healthy. And just, even Noah Davis is hurt, right? Even the depth is banged up right now, and they're still just pitching well. I do not understand it, but that it's a beautiful game. It's a beautiful game is baseball you never really know what you're gonna see on any given day at the ballpark so we'll keep watching i know you will i will uh we'll keep talking about it that's what the podcast is for so thank you all for continuing to listen uh make sure like i said that you're checking out mile high sports on youtube i got a lot more of those fun like little three minute videos on the history of rocky sometimes stuff they're doing right now sometimes just kind of deep ancient history or statistical anomalies that i find all kinds of fun stuff uh, I've already got like six of them written and mostly produced, even though only two are out, just because I've had so much fun making them. That's why I think you guys are going to have some fun watching them. So make sure you're subscribed to Mile High Sports on YouTube, checking out all the written content over at milehighsports.com. And, you know, give give those videos a, a like and a share, if you will. I, I would really appreciate that. Leave a comment down below. It does actually help other people find them. And it would make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. So thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.